Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Here we are midway through the month of September already. Thank you for being with us and letting us be part of your day. And we have plenty to talk about today for sure. Iowa Senator Charles Grassley will be joining us on the program today. We'll get a Washington update. Lots to talk about with the senator. We'll talk uh, biofuels issues. We'll also find out if there's anything happening on another COVID aid package. We'll get into all that with the senator a little bit later on. Don Parrish with the American Farm Bureau Federation will join us. We'll get an update on the new Waters of the U.S. rule, how it's uh, doing with all the challenges in court, the different legal challenges that are being raised to it. We'll get the very latest on that. And we'll have the latest ag equipment sales numbers from the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. We'll see what they are telling us for this last month. So all that coming up on today's program. But we're going to start things off with uh, the latest on the biofuels news, and we have a lot of it. We finally have confirmation of the decision to deny those gap year waivers to the renewable fuel standard. Joining us now is Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, thanks for being with us. Uh, finally, we have that confirmation. Your thoughts? Well, thanks for having me, Mike. And, and uh, you know, yesterday's announcement from EPA that they are rejecting these gap year small refinery exemption petitions is, is great news for the industry. It's a big step forward. And the best part about it is it, it's official. Um, it's a final action. Uh, we don't have to wait for EPA to do anything else. Um, you know, it's not a, a, a commitment or a promise that something may happen. It, it happened. It, uh, the memo that came out from EPA yesterday uh, we believe should put the nail in the coffin for these gap year waivers and, and hopefully put that big mess uh, that EPA created for itself uh, behind us and, and we can get back to implementing the RFS and, and uh, you know honoring the congressional intent with this program. Explain for our listeners the significance of this decision. What impact does it have? Well, it really is kind of a complex issue, but it goes all the way back to January when the Tenth Circuit Court out in Denver uh, ruled in, in our industry's favor uh, in a suit that, that RFA and the corn growers and others brought against EPA, and the Tenth Circuit overturned certain small refinery exemptions that had been improperly granted uh, by EPA, and the court said the statute's pretty clear. If a refinery hasn't had an exemption each and every year consecutively since 2011, then they don't even qualify to ask for an exemption moving forward. Uh, so we thought that was kind of the end of the small refinery exemption program. But these refiners, we, we know if nothing else, they're, they're very clever. Uh, and so what they did is they said, well, we'll just go back and fill all those gaps. We'll, we'll fill in those years where we didn't have waivers by asking for retroactive waivers uh, from EPA. And that's you know where the term gap year came from. And so they flooded the agency with these gap year petitions. And we were quite concerned for, for uh, quite a while there that EPA – uh, might uh, be crazy enough to approve those things and establish this continuous chain of exemptions, uh, which would allow these refiners to continue to be eligible moving forward. So 
Um, yesterday's action, we believe, by, by rejecting those gap year petitions uh, is going to make it incredibly difficult uh, for EPA to hand out any exemptions moving forward. Well, I think that's a key part of this as well. This not only impacts those requests for past waivers, but you think this sets the tone now for how they'll handle future requests. Absolutely, and, and there are 31 uh, pending uh, exemption requests at EPA that are not the gap year variety, uh, but, it, but we believe that because those gap year exemptions are not being granted, very few of those 31 pending petitions could be granted by EPA uh, because, again, those refiners asking for the waivers have not had a continuous chain of exemptions. Um, so we do think yesterday's action really should, uh, you know, right the ship on this whole small refinery exemption program and, and hopefully get the RFS back on track. Took a while to get here, but finally we have it. Now, the uh, what I think was a surprise announcement, maybe it wasn't to you, uh, over the weekend uh, about the president tweeting out that E15 would be allowed to be used through E10 pumps. Were you expecting that? Well, we, we know the president has been a big supporter of E15, uh, you know, going back to his uh, his announcement that we would be able to sell year-round E15. Uh, he has always understood that there are some unnecessary and, and kind of ridiculous regulatory barriers that are keeping E15 out of the marketplace uh, we know the administration has been looking for ways to help facilitate continued expansion of E15. Uh, so not not a huge surprise, uh, but a, a pleasant uh, a pleasant development nonetheless. Um, and you know, I think now we're sort of awaiting more details and and specifics on how that plan is actually going to work. It's it's not an easy thing to just uh, allow E15 to be sold in all the existing equipment that's out there in the field today. There's several regulatory actions that need to be taken by both EPA and OSHA and their state level uh, regulations involved and, and it, it's a pretty thorny issue um, and there's a lot to untangle there but but again uh, very encouraged by that announcement and and looking forward to more details on that plan. What's the potential impact of that decision though uh, Jeff? I mean it, obviously it, it would seem to make it easier for uh, motors to be able to get E15 uh, and easier for retailers to offer it if we get through all those uh, different things that you just outlined. Yeah, ab absolutely, Mike. We know the biggest hurdle uh, to E15 expansion has, has been the infrastructure. And, you know, we've talked to many, many retailers that have said, you know, I'd love, love to offer E15, but I don't have the equipment to do it. And I can't afford to put new pumps in, new tanks in if I, if you know, if, if the tanks aren't compatible. Um, so, you know, a, an announcement from the federal government and state governments that, hey, uh, we are going to treat all the equipment that's in the ground and, 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 you know, already at the stations as being compatible with E15, which we believe it is anyway. Uh, but that formal recognition, uh, boy, that could be a huge development for, e, for E15 and for the ethanol industry. I mean, you could switch overnight uh, from, you know, our normal gasoline across the country being E10 uh, to a very rapid move to, to E15 being the new norm. Uh, so it is quite significant and, and uh, could really drive demand if, in fact, we're able to, to knock down these barriers that are keeping us from doing that today. Yeah, not quite there yet on that, but uh, this is a step in that direction. That's certainly good news. And we have the 90-day uh, uh, period now to on the Brazilian ethanol tariff issue. I know that's not a 
permanent solution that you're looking for, but uh, buys, a, buys a little time. So a lot going on right now, Jeff. Thanks a lot for the update. You bet. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. You take care. Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. We'll talk more biofuels news later with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. But up next, the latest on the new Waters of the U.S. rule. A lot of legal challenges to it. We'll get an update from Don Parrish with the American Farm Bureau Federation next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Peak performance at harvest is a necessity. It's our expertise. Producers who look to have a successful harvest turn to FS. Our grain systems experts reduce downtime by offering the latest products, innovations, and knowledge to your grain operation. Whether you need a part in a hurry or advice on your equipment, we'll keep you running. At FS, we're always looking for ways to optimize your grain system and ensure during harvest your operation is ready for what's next. So visit fssystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Mike Steenhook, who is executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, uh, this week there was a ceremony kicking off the construction of barge loading and unloading terminal along the Missouri River. Tell us about the significance of this new terminal that will be built. This past Wednesday, there was a groundbreaking in the, the small town of Glencoe, Iowa. They had a groundbreaking for a new barge loading and unloading facility along the Missouri River. They have an intention of of loading some degree of soybeans for the export market from that facility yet this November, December. Clearly, the construction progress will take a while, so things will occur in waves and in increments. But, you know, the the plan is to to be engaged in international marketing for this farmer-owned cooperative by shipping on the, the Missouri River. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. 
Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, so that's uh, big news for the biofuels industry. The Finally, the confirmation of the report that's been out there for a while that indeed EPA will deny those so-called gap year waivers and that's the news we've been waiting for for some time certainly and not only is this a good news for now and dealing with those past waiver requests that were being considered but as you just heard Jeff Cooper say that also bodes well for the future we hope that this will now set the tone and uh, kind of provide the guidance for how EPA will handle these moving forward. No guarantee of that, of course, but would be, hopefully that is uh, what's going to happen now, and we'll wait and see uh, how EPA handles, because they have these, as Jeff said, they have more requests pending, current ones, so we'll see how they, they deal with those. There's some talk now, of course, from the administration that they're going to try to do something for the uh, the oil industry, the refiners. Again, they're trying to keep both sides happy in this, but this is certainly good news for the biofuels industry, and tomorrow we will talk with the biodiesel folks and uh, get their reaction to this, because in many ways these uh, waivers that have been granted have been even more harmful to the biodiesel industry even than the ethanol industry in some cases. So to get this uh, resolved finally uh, well, is a big, big boost for both the ethanol and biodiesel industries at a time that uh, they really need that that boost. And then on top of that, if, as Jeff said, they can work through still all the different get over all the different hurdles that are still out there but uh, for E15 to be allowed to be pumped through the E10 pumps uh, that'll be a big boost as well so that's some much welcome news for the biofuels industry that has had a tough tough year for sure well also uh, a reminder uh, this is the start of the farm progress show the virtual farm progress show if you will if you haven't already done so go to farmprogressshow.com you can uh, get registered for that and take in this year's farm progress show and husker harvest days virtually as so many things are being held these days in this uh, 2020 year of uh, the virtual reality that we're all dealing with but uh, that that's be anxious to see what you think of that while watching the Farm Progress Show uh, virtually this year. All right, Don Parrish is with us, Senior Director, Regulatory Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. He keeps us up to date on the new Waters of the U.S. rule. Don, thank you for being with us. We know there are several legal challenges to the new rule. What's the latest? Okay, I thought we had Don, but maybe not. We will try again for Don here in just a moment. We'll try to reconnect and see if we can get him. There, you're back. All right, Don. Good to have you with us. All right, what's the no problem? What's the latest on the legal challenges to the new Waters of the U.S. rule? You know what? There is a lot of cases up in the air right now, but the but the good news is that this this rule is pretty much uh, implemented nationwide. Every state but Colorado, in that case, is under appeal, and hopefully, pretty soon, we're going to see that you know, this rule implemented nationwide. Now, I know that some environmental groups are not happy with this new rule, and they're the ones uh, uh, taking it to court. Do you think they have much standing in, in getting it stopped? Well, Mike, when you look at how the court reasoned, even in the Northern District of California, 
they give the agency a lot of latitude to make policy decisions that are both protective of water quality, but yet provide the clarity that the public needs uh, in order to comply with the law. So even in a very liberal court venue, uh, one that was chosen by environmentalists and some of the blue state attorney generals, uh, the judge in that case really recognized the need to have regulations that the public can understand and that are clear. And he also made the made the judgment that, you know, overall, you know, what the agencies did in terms of the science, in terms of the policy, pretty much tracked with the Clean Water Act. And that's all we're asking. And, and he made those early determinations. You know, he hadn't ruled finally on that, but that pretty much puts us in a really good spot. And I'm sure a lot of other judges are going to be looking at what this judge did early on. So while these legal challenges take place and we wait for rulings on them, is the new rule, other than Colorado, is the new rule the law of the land for landowners uh, wanting to do different projects on their own land? Uh, it is. And the good news about that is that the Corps has already indicated that they've had something in the neighborhood of about a thousand jurisdictional determinations made uh, under the new rule. And what they have, what they're, what they're coming to conclude is that it is easier for them, number one, to make determinations. And number two, uh, what we're kind of gratified by is that anything that is really hard is elevated so that elevated to the national EPA so that they can make sure that it it tracks with the intent of the rule, which is to be protective of water quality, but yet provide the clarity that this administration envisioned when they did the new rule. So we're very pleased with what we're seeing so far. Obviously, the biggest issues out there right now are the whole is is how to make jurisdictional determinations regarding ephemerals. And the good news is that we think they are largely getting it right. Uh, we do know that the agencies have put in uh, a review process where they're going to be reviewing a huge number of jurisdictional calls by the regionals, uh, the regional core districts, to ensure that there is consistency from core district to core district and consistency with what was intended and what was written down in black and white in the rule in the preamble to this rule. Because we saw previously, Don, uh, landowners thinking they had done everything right, taken all the steps, gotten all the permissions and uh, approvals that they needed, only to find out after doing some work on their on their land to be found out, be told by the federal uh, agencies that they were out of compliance with the with the old rule. Uh, does this clear that up and and resolve that issue to keep that from happening? So, Mike, I am confident that it is going to get most of them. Uh, do I have you know in my mind a couple of examples where farmers are having some issues with a couple of core districts? I do, and it is troubling, and we are we're. You know, we're looking to try to get at the bottom of what the issues are. But I think overall the agencies are generally doing a pretty good job implementing this rule. Uh, and it's, it's yielding what they promised, which was a quicker, faster, more streamlined decision 
and one that that you know sticks to what the administration tried to finalize, which is a rule that provides more clarity. When you say a quicker uh, resolution or you get quicker answers, how much has this process been sped up with the new rule? Well, it just it, the two things. We know that if it's ephemeral, the, the exclusion for ephemerals say that they're out. And for the most part, you know, we may dance around on the head of a pen as to how you make a distinction between ephemeral and intermittent in some cases. But for the most part, if it is ephemeral, it's out. And, you know, people that are coming in just double-checking to make sure that they're okay, you know, they're getting that decision made real quickly if it's ephemeral. Uh, the other issue is that the court doesn't have to go through this arduous, significant nexus uh, determination. It is now, does it have flow in a typical year? If it does, it's in. If it doesn't, it's out. Now, you know, again, I, I'll be honest with you. We're looking at a couple of cases where the core has probably pushed the limits a little bit as to whether or not they're making that determination as clearly as they should. You know, they're trying to put qualifiers on what a typical year is. You know, the agencies are going to have to get to the bottom of that. They are going to have to look and make sure that there is consistency there and it is done correctly, but I think we're moving in the right direction. All right, Don, thank you for the update. We'll keep track of this, and it sounds like we're headed in the right direction finally. Thank you so much. We are, and if anybody has issues, I would sure like to hear about it because we want to keep track of this in the Farm Bureau. Thank you. Very good. That's Don Parrish, Senior Director, Regulatory Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation with the latest on the new Waters of the U.S. rule. Up next, lots to talk about with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. Stay with us here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. You don't take a winter break. Unfortunately, neither do insects or diseases. Trust BASF Cereal Seed Treatments to protect your winter wheat this season. This team of products provides a base of broad-spectrum disease control with stamina F4 cereals fungicide seed treatment, an added performance boost with new Relania seed treatment, and rounded out with Poncho XC seed treatment, pest protection. To learn more, contact your BASF rep or local retailer. BASF, we create chemistry. Always read and follow label directions. Wearing a seatbelt while driving or riding in a vehicle can greatly reduce the risk of injury or death. Sadly, half of all roadway fatalities are unbuckled drivers and passengers. People who aren't buckled endanger not only themselves, but others in the vehicle as well. Everyone riding in vehicles should be properly restrained to increase the likelihood of survival. Drivers should make sure that all occupants of the vehicle, including themselves, are buckled up. Drive safe. Save lives. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Corn prices were weaker overnight as new crop December corn assumes the front month position. National crop conditions falling another point last week to 60% good to excellent versus 61% good to excellent and 55% last year. 
Conditions in North Dakota and Pennsylvania falling six points and seven points, respectively. An hour into the trading day, corn futures are falling. December down three and a quarter at 366 and a quarter. March down three and a half at 375 and a half. In soybean futures, November down five and three quarters at 993 and three quarters. January down four and three quarters at 998 and a half. Wheat futures declining on this Tuesday trading session. Chicago wheat December down nine and a half at 536 and a quarter. Kansas City wheat December down eight and a quarter at 465 and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat December down four and three quarters at 525 and three quarters of a cent. For livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures, we are flat to 40 cents lower. October steady at 106.85. December down 42 at 111.32. Feeder cattle October up 45 at 143.05. We continue to wait for cash cattle trade to develop on this trading week after trending lower in the cash last week. October lean hog futures $1.72 higher at 66.35. December up 60 cents at 64.20. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow up 158 points, S&P up 25, NASDAQ up 162, crude oil up 17 cents. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, we always look forward to and enjoy our visits with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley, who joins us now. Senator, thank you for being with us. Yeah, glad to be with you. It couldn't be a better day to talk about things important to agriculture because of what the president said yesterday about ethanol. Yeah, we've got a lot to talk about. We've waited a long time for this news, but now we have confirmation uh, of the decision that EPA will will reject these so-called gap year waivers to the RFS. I know you've been pushing hard for this. This is great news for the biofuels industry. Yes, and uh, Senator Ethanol, this uh, or Senator uh, Ernst, uh, I guess you could call her Senator Ethanol too. But anyway, uh, she uh, she's been on the president on this. I remember at Cedar Rapids when the president was there because of the big windstorm going through and uh, looking at all the damage that was done. Uh, she brought this up with him, and I didn't. We didn't get a positive 
uh, uh, we didn't get an indication then that he was going to do any more than look at it. But yesterday's decision, he really delivered. And I don't know how much during the summer months, June, July, and August, I was holding my town meetings, and I was hearing from the farmers great skepticism that this would be announced uh, before the election. They're going to wait after the election. And then the uncertainty that that was, that maybe they'd go along with the small refineries by rejecting all 93 uh, refinery applications, and by doing it before the election, uh, this ought to satisfy all those skeptical people in Iowa, both uh, corn farmers and uh, and uh, the ethanol industry that he has uh, delivered. And uh, he, in fact, uh, talks about ethanol all the time. I hear it all the time, but the farmers of Iowa don't hear it the same way I do. I hope his actions now will reduce the cynicism that people had that maybe he was just playing games with ethanol. Well, I think that's the key word, actions. We finally have actions backing up the words. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, you, I can't say it any better than you just said it. Uh, the other, uh, of course, the other part of this is we hope this now kind of gives us a, a, a look ahead of how EPA will handle future requests uh, for these waivers. I think that you've got to then go to the Tenth Circuit Court of Opinion, and if that's followed, there won't be any more waivers uh, in the future for uh, these companies. That's indeed what uh, the industry has been hoping for, looking for, since that uh, ruling came down. So we'll be watching that. Now, we also had his announcement that he's... Uh, taking the steps to open up the use of E15 through E10 pumps. And even though there are some things to still work through, that'll be a significant uh, boost for the industry as well. Well, yes, because, you know, uh, I, I don't know whether they were state regulations or federal environmental stuff, but there was some indication that if you put E15, which would be a, a 5% more mixture of ethanol in these gasoline tanks, that somehow there's going to be uh, affected corrosion and probably lead to leaks. And I don't know whether that was a real fear or not, but obviously uh, somebody assured the president that it wasn't a real fear. So instead of spending uh, tens of thousands of dollars to put in new tanks and to put in a different pump for E15, you can take your E10 and uh, put E15 into it. It's very... Uh, it's very dramatically going to increase uh, the dissemination of ethanol at 15%. That's a 50% increase in the amount of ethanol in each gallon of gasoline. And uh, most cars, uh, the largest percentage of cars that are on the road ha have been uh, uh, manufactured post-2002, which I think is kind of a dividing line between cars that can use E15s and cars that can use uh, 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 can't use E15. Uh, like for instance, I've got a 1996 uh, uh, Lincoln that I drive in Iowa. Uh, I can't put E15 in that, but I've had several cars. Uh, don't have any now, but I did have several cars manufactured after 2002, and I could put. E15 in them without any uh, danger whatsoever. 
But if you can't right. buy it, you can't put it in. Yeah. So this allows now, more more distribution of E15. Yep, that'll be good news as well. Now we have this issue with uh, over tariffs on ethanol with Brazil. We've got a 90-day extension to get this worked out. Uh, are you hearing anything on that as far as a more permanent solution? Well, I think in the night that's what the next 90 days are about. In other words, <clears throat> this last weekend. Brazil was set to make sure that every gallon of ethanol that went to Brazil would have a 20% tariff on it. Instead of the first uh, 192 million gallons not ha having a tariff, and then everything over the 100, uh, 192 has had a 20% tariff. Well, all of our ethanol going into there would have had it. It would have really hurt our exports to Brazil, and Brazil imports more of our ethanol than any other country. So what the Lighthizer uh, got Brazil to agree with, they wouldn't change their tariff on ethanol for the next 90 days, and then we were going to negotiate. So I guess the answer to your question is I can't really tell you what's going to come out of it, but it gives us some breathing room to negotiate something, so hopefully uh, Brazil will not have the 20% tariffs on what we call the TRQs. We're talking with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. All right. Uh, any, what, well, I'll ask this. Uh, do you think we'll have a COVID aid package, another one passed before the election? Well, I think uh, Schumer made it very clear in the vote last Thursday when he wouldn't let a single Democrat vote with the 52 Republicans, and we needed at least eight Democrats, and I'm sure there are eight Democrats uh, would would want to help get a CARES package passed, but he didn't want to do it. So let me make very clear to your listeners, this was not a vote for or against the bill. It was a vote to bring up the bill for discussion and amendment. So assuming Democrats didn't like what McConnell put on the floor, they had every opportunity to offer amendments if we'd gotten to the bill. But Schumer wouldn't even let us discuss the issue. So what he was really doing there for agriculture was preventing $20 billion additional money going to the Secretary of Agriculture to help low prices in agriculture. Worse than that, uh, you know, uh, the federal uh, uh, increase in unemployment insurance uh, ran out July 31st. The president uh, used some of his powers on executive orders to keep that going for a few weeks, uh, which ends September the 8th. So consequently, uh, th th we would have had more federal unemployment insurance through December 31st. But the Schumer didn't even want that to do it. So if you're not getting increased unemployment after September the 8th, blame Schumer. Do you see anything getting done, major uh, accomplishments in Congress before the election, or you, or not? Yeah, just to make sure we don't shut down the government. And then getting back to your previous question, which I don't think I fully answered, uh, uh, the only way we're going to get a care package up and the opportunity to get $20 billion more for uh, for uh, uh, agriculture would be if Pelosi goes to the White House and said she'd like to resume the negotiations, which she has refused to do 
since August the 6th. So basically, between now and the election, uh, if you can, both sides seemingly have agreed to keep the government open and running, though. Yeah, and that's going to happen. I think there's an agreement between the White House and Pelosi that shouldn't run into any trouble in the Senate to have a continuing resolution to do that. Your thoughts on former Iowa Governor Branstad being recalled from China, where he's been ambassador, back uh, to the U.S. Uh, are you concerned that might set back even more the the relationship between the U.S. and China? No, I think you have to look at it this way: that uh, first of all, Vice President Liu and Lighthizer talk regularly, and they feel that the promises that were made. And both of them feel like the promises made in the January signing of Phase 1 are going to continue. you got to look at Branstead being there three and a half years. Most ambassadors that are politically appointed, and about 40% of our ambassadors are political appointees, the other 60% are probably professional diplomats, but most of the political appointees don't last as long as Branstead. And when I say don't last as long... They just decide uh, two or three years is enough of this stuff. His family has been back here since the virus hit, and I think that he's put in his time. Uh, He's 73 years old. Uh, He wants to come back to Iowa and do some things, and I think he'll be a – now that he's not ambassador, he'll be able to do political uh, uh, meetings and give political speeches and take sides in politics not violating the Hatch Act, uh, and so I think that he's going to come back here and help the, the president and other Republicans in the election. Senator, always good to talk with you. Thanks for being with us. We'll talk to you next month. Goodbye. Thank you. Take, you take care. Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. Up next, the latest ag equipment sales number. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to really cook. 
First, you can't tell it's done by how it looks. Use a food thermometer. Then, always stir, rotate the dish, and cover food when microwaving to prevent cold spots where bacteria can survive. Fast cooking should still be safe cooking. And bring sauces, soups, and gravies to a rolling boil when reheating. Even for the most experienced cooks, the improper heating and preparation of food means bacteria can survive. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. About 80% of farmers use propane to dry their grain. If you're part of that 80%, you know a dryer filled with propane distributes heat and dries grain more evenly. With FS Propane, you can increase harvest quality, improve productivity, and lower fuel cost. Propane from FS ensures dependable supply. FS offers services and flexible, convenient payment programs to help keep your mind on your business while they manage your propane tank and supply. For grain drying, choose FS Propane. FS Propane brings the heat. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Well, we have the latest beef and pork export numbers, and here with those numbers and some uh, analysis of them is Aaron Bohr, economist with the U.S. Meat Export Federation. All right, Aaron, thank you for joining us. Uh, how do the uh, latest numbers look? Thanks, Mike. Uh, I would say continued improvement. This year, we look at month on month change, which is not typical. We usually look year on year, but given obvious uh, crazy circumstances, we look back month on month for beef up 36% compared to June and pork up 7% compared to June, which pork never decreased as hard as beef. So that's part of that difference. And so an encouraging sign, although still below year-ago levels for beef and dipping below year-ago for pork. So clearly challenges, but improving trends. And the weekly data through August showed that that continued, and especially for beef. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You don't take a winter break. Unfortunately, neither do insects or diseases. Trust BASF Cereal Seed Treatments to protect your winter wheat this season. This team of products provides a base of broad-spectrum disease control with stamina F4 cereals fungicide seed treatment, an added performance boost with new Relania seed treatment, and rounded out with Poncho XC seed treatment, pest protection. To learn more, contact your BASF rep or local retailer. BASF, we create chemistry. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. 
Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, as we head into harvest, how do ag equipment sales look? We have the latest numbers from Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Kurt, good to talk with you again. Uh, what are the latest numbers? Well, we, we continue to be pleasantly surprised by the uh, by the tractor and combine market. Uh, you know, despite everything that's going on with the economy and with the pandemic and uh, and really, the ag economy not not looking as bright as maybe as it could be. Uh, we're still seeing some pretty solid numbers in tractor and combine sales, really driven by small horsepower tractors. But it's sort of permeating throughout all of the classes of tractors and combines in the U.S. So uh, compared to a year ago, how do the numbers look? Uh, what much movement? Well, I'll well, tell you what. Well, you know, as I mentioned at the start. Uh, under 40 horsepower tractors, small tractors are up about 17% for the year, and that's representing about 20,000 new units sold this year compared to last year. When you look at other classes like 40 to 100 horsepower tractors, they're up about 10% for the year. Uh, we saw a little bit of decline in 100 plus you know horsepower tractors, those would be row crop tractors, seeing about about a 3% drop uh, year over year. Um, but overall, tractor sales of, of uh, two-wheel drive tractors and front-wheel assist tractors are up about 14%. So those are pretty pretty respectable numbers, uh, you know, given all the situation that we're dealing with. When you look yeah. at some of the other classes like articulated four-wheel drive, you know, that we've seen some softness there. That one's taken a little bit longer to recover, uh, although August was a pretty nice month. Uh, that market's still down about 10% for the year. Yeah, when you consider the headwinds, we've talked about this month after month. Considering the headwinds, considering the economy and the and the trade issues, and of course the uh, the pandemic, uh, you have to feel pretty good about those numbers overall. You do, you do. I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into the purchase of a, of a piece of equipment. I mean, farmers are are making those decisions on a on a daily, yearly, and monthly basis. I mean, they're taking a look at their overall operation. They determine, yeah, this this next couple of months may look a little bit rough, but at some point we've got to make sure that we've got a good piece of equipment that's that's uh, functional and it's going to be able to be efficient and keep the uptime going. So they're making those decisions sort of independent of, of the headlines, which I think is a good thing. It's also a pretty good testament just to the resiliency of the ag market and the ag industry in general. I mean, we're all in this for the long haul. And, you and, know, uh, we've got some headwinds right now. But overall, uh, you know, the market, you know, people still got to eat. People still got to put, put clothes on and, and put fuel in the cars. Do you think we're building up to hopefully we're going to – I mean, we're starting to see maybe some signs. Uh, we're seeing these increased sales uh, to China and, and exports uh, – are, are certainly on the uptick. We've seen some response by the markets. And uh, do you think we ha- have a situation that if things start do uh, looking more positive on that front and you have some farmers who maybe uh, put off trading in to a newer piece, to a new piece of equipment that normally would have, but they kind of put it off, that it's kind of a, that built up demand might be out there? Oh, I, I'm always optimistic that there's some uh, some unmet demand, and I think you're for sure seeing that on uh, uh, you know in some of those other categories. Where if you take a look at the inventories, they're they're a little light. Uh, certainly, on the small tractors, have been a little bit light because they're selling so well. 
So I, but I'm always optimistic that, hey, you know, the market turns just a little bit or, you know, we get a, we get a, you know, farmers got an individually great crop and did a good job marketing it. Maybe they're in a situation where they need to make some upgrades. And I, I'm always optimistic that those, those pockets are out there. You know, as we know, we look at, you know, you know, agriculture in general across the nation. I mean, there's a little bit of a dark cloud, but if you look at certain pockets where crops look particularly well and the local markets look particularly well, that's a that's a good thing. You got other markets where maybe the crops aren't aren't quite as solid, uh, and they're making a quite slightly different decision. But I'll tell you what, overall, you know, I think there's a lot of optimism out there as you look to some of the news you pointed to. Maybe some positive trade reactions, maybe some um, you know some some changes in in uh, in biofuels policy. And just, you know, anything that we can do to increase the demand sort of helps the psyche and helps uh, move equipment out there. Let's look closer at those combine numbers. Uh, these were the August numbers, so we were headed into uh, getting to the uh, harvest season. Uh, uh, give us a, another closer look at those combine sales numbers. Well, so combine sales for the year have been pretty flat. We're up about 3% for the year, and that represents just about 100 more units sold this year compared to last year. I mean that's uh, you know there's, you got to recognize that overall you know, that's representing about 3,000 3,100 combines uh, have been sold so far this year in the United States. So I'd say that's flat, considering that's a pretty considered purchase. I think be pretty pretty happy about that. You know there are some there's some pretty interesting new models out there. I know they're getting some attention. I know in some cases these uh, combines that are taking delivery now maybe they've been on order for a little while. So that's that's reflected in those in those numbers as well. But I'll tell you, you know, the harvesting equipment as we get ready for harvesting time, as you know, that window gets you know has tendency to be pretty tight. So farm pretty pretty darn important that a farmer has a piece of equipment that they can depend on uh, to get the get the crop out as quick as possible when the when the weather hits. Any improvement in Canada? Well, Canada is has been a problem child for a while, but we are seeing some some signs of life, certainly seeing some signs of life in the combine market where we we saw about a 35% increase for the month of August this year in new combines. We're seeing an increase in the small horsepower tractors and actually seeing some growth in those row crop tractors uh, you know, for the month of August. But when you look at it from a year to date, we had a pretty big hole to climb out of in Canada. Um, mm-hmm. So we're, you know, overall, com- uh, tractors are up about 7% for the year in in uh, in canada but if you look at some of the individual classes some of them are are, are kind of hurting and uh, articulate four-wheel drive continue to be pretty pretty soft up there all right kurt as always uh, thanks for the latest numbers we'll talk again next month you bet thanks mike take care kurt blade senior vice president ag services association of equipment manufacturers with that we wrap it up for today hope you have a great day a safe day join us again tomorrow right here on aoa